1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 28. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not, <coughs> hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And ye need, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The title of this evening's sermon is Preparing for the Antichrist. And I'm going to start with a warning. I'm not going to give a method or a theory um, so we we can find out who the Antichrist is or how they will arrive or when they will appear. Uh, for two reasons. One, I don't have a clue. And the second is, it's not here in the passage. What we do read is um, attributes of the Antichrist, what they will do, what they will be like. But we cannot identify personally who they are. Um, it's just not here in the scripture. We have, throughout scripture, we have... Um, we have verses and, and sections that point about what, again, what their character will be like, but no one specifically. We cannot hand on heart say it is this person. And again, just for extra clarity, it has nothing to do with our ability, intellect, or, or if we perceive we have special revelation. To defend ourselves and, and prepare for Antichrist, for one false teachers that come into the church, or the Antichrist, As I mentioned earlier, it's all about knowing Christ. That's how we prepare. 
And we we start in, we start here with verses 15 to 17, and I'll just repeat them again here in, in chapter 2. Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So, John here, in verses 15 to 17, tells the believers, first of all, not to love the world or the things in it. There's an instruction there for us. Do not love the things of the world. Then he gives us a warning. If someone does love the world, then God is not in them. The love of God is not in them. And then the the third thing is, he gives us a reason why we shouldn't love the world. And we're going to look at these in, in slightly more depth and, and find out actually what John means about loving the world and what he means by the world. And again, as part of this whole passage, this links into preparing ourselves and readying ourselves for if any false teachers do come in or if in our lifetime there is the Antichrist. So John starts with, do not love the world. Again, like a, a couple of weeks ago in the morning, we spoke about love that, that John was discussing here. It's a love that is being fond of something, loving something daily, something that you work hard towards, that you, you desire. Now, we know that can be a good thing if we love our husbands, our wives, our, our children, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Ultimately, if we love Christ in that way, that is a good thing. But John here is saying it's a bad thing if we have that love towards the world. He's not saying we shouldn't love the people in the world, uh, one another, enemies, as Christ tells us to do. But John is speaking of something else in the world. So in context, in all of this, this whole passage, John is speaking about the evil things of this world. Look, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If we don't worry about turning, I'll just read a few um, other verses off now. James 4.4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. James here is saying, look, we shouldn't be friends with the things of the, the world, the, the evil of this world. We shouldn't have a connection there with it. There shouldn't be a desire to, to know it and to be with the things of this world. Romans 12, 2. And be not confirmed to the, uh, conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, what we see here, our minds shouldn't be set on the things of the world. We shouldn't think like the world. We shouldn't take on the ideas of the world and, and bring them into the church. Ephesians 2, 2. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So there, in that passage in, in verses 15 and 17, the world here is not necessarily just the physical world, but it's the spiritual aspect of this world. It's the principalities, it's the powers of this world. Who rules this world then? Well, we know the Lord is sovereign overall. He is sovereign over everything. However, we know 
that the devil has power in this world. He, he rules over the, the powers and the principalities of evil that we see in this world. And in, in 1 John, uh, we know that <clears throat> he, he mentions later on in 1 John 5, we know that we, we are of God and the whole world lieth in, in wickedness. We know that the church is of God, but the world is of wickedness. There are two separate things. The two cannot come together. You cannot love God and his ways and also love the world. There is a distinction. And it's because the, the things of God is of God and is lovely and true. And the things of the world is, is wickedness and evil because it is of Satan. So if we love the things of the world, that is the ideas, the philosophies, the views, the methods, the virtue signaling, the things that, that, that the world offers, and we desire these, and we continue to walk in these ways and have no love of God, then we are not of the Father. We are not of his church. And that's not because we haven't gone to love God and we're doing these things. It's because we have no salvation. There is no evidence in our lives that uh, we have been changed by the Holy Spirit. So it's not a, a earning our righteousness by rejecting the world and going to Christ. It's the evidence of Christ working in us if we love him and the evidence of, of Christ not being in us if we are loving the world and walking in the world's ways. And I can give you one example, and unfortunately it comes from um, a supposed uh, church. Now, one thing that's on the agenda a lot is caring for the climate. Is it bad to look after the earth and the, and, uh, and the, the trees and, and the land? No, not at all. However, it, it can be if we are defined by it. If that is our desire, if that is what we, we see salvation in. I came, as I was looking through these things and, and ideas that have impacted the church and drawn the church away from Christ, I, I came across uh, a website. Now, with it, there's going to be a slight con, uh, congregational participation just for this bit. So, if I were to say to you, in this whole website of this church, how many times do you think the name of Christ is mentioned? This is a whole website. So call out anybody, any guesses, how many times the name of Christ was mentioned? Ten, we've got ten? Zero. We've got zero. Oh, so we've got, we've got one of, of great faith, one of, of little faith in, in man. It was four. It was four times. Salvation, any guesses? Two. Two, okay. It was one. And it wasn't about salvation in Christ. It was uh, about salvation through caring for the world. Sin. Any guesses for sin? Zero. zero. We've got a zero. Yes. Hell. Zero. zero as well. Yeah. It did have this quote, however. It said this. Reducing the causes of climate change is essential to the life of faith. Reducing the causes of climate change is essential to the life of faith. So here we have an ideology of caring for the world. It is good. We are to care for the world. However, we have taken on the world's way of doing this. So much so that we do not mention Christ. Well, we mention him four times. Uh, we mention salvation, but out of context. Sin is not mentioned. Hell is not mentioned. And we put 
legalism at the centre. Reducing the causes of climate change is essential to the life of faith. How evil is that? You are not saved because Christ has done a work in you and his death on the cross has saved you from your sins. You are saved because you have put that tin in the recycling bin. You have picked up that litter from the floor. You are saved because you care for the earth. What a shock that will be for the individual when the Lord returns. But this is loving the world, loving the ideas of the world. It's loving an ideology, a way of thinking that is not biblical. It's forsaking Christ. It's forsaking what he has done and seeking the applause of this world. That, this is what loving the world is. And this, as you've guessed, was a rather liberal church. But don't think for a minute that the Reformed Church is safe from this either. We can mix it with the best of those that love the world. The Reformed love academia. And again, this is not a bad thing. If we want doctors, if we want surgeons, if we want people to to understand and gain knowledge for various things, academia is a good thing. However, it's when we desire it and want it so we have an equal standing with the world. I find it a fascinating thing that we desire um, to go to a Bible college or seminary and we want it accredited by a university, a secular university. Uh, I attended one to do some uh, a youth study and it was a fairly decent one, but the the, it was accredited by the world. I came out with a, an accreditation for something in youth work, for Christian youth work, but it was okayed by the world. A university that promoted homosexuality, that rejected Christ. Yet the stamp of approval came from them. Again, this is another form of loving the world. And we see it, we, we employ a pastor and we make sure that they have been rubber stamped by the world. We employ a youth worker or something else because they have been okayed by a secular way of thinking. We want adoration, we want an equal standing with the world. But the church is Christ. The church is a standalone people who love the Lord. We are to be in the world but not of it. We are to be amongst the people of the world, but not tainted by them. Because if we do truly love the world and walk in it and desire the things of the world, then are we really the Lord's? We know that the world, that is the ideologies, the ways, the principalities, the powers of Satan, as we've mentioned, it's obvious. And that's because there is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. This is what the world offers. This is what John is showing us here. It says, don't love the world. It's full of these evil things. And it's these evil things. What do they provide for us? Well, they provide instant gratification. They provide us with a desire met immediately. They provide us with the things that we, that our flesh wants and it will give us it immediately. There's no perseverance. And we see that again in scripture. Adam and Eve, I mentioned this the other week, wanted to be like God. They took of the fruit. David lusted after Bathsheba. He murdered. King Saul desired power and glory. And he descended into a chaotic, mad life. Noah desired wine and got drunk. 
These people were drawn to things of the world. I think Saul here, King Saul is the best example because we see his decline into the ways of the world. He offered a sacrifice that only the priests could, therefore breaking God's law. He spent a long, long time attempting to kill David, the Lord's king. He tried to kill his own son. He slaughtered 85 priests. He consulted a medium and then at the end, he took his own life. This was a chaos into what happens when you love and desire the things of the world. You crave them more and more and it just leads into greater sin. But ultimately, it is also extremely foolish. Let's look at verse 17. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. It's foolish because this world is passing away. All that we lust and desire for that is of this world, all the, the secular ways of thinking, the, the, the desires, the pride of this world will perish. The only thing that will abide forever in peace are those who do the will of God. Now that presents us again with a problem. Who has only ever done the will of, the God, of God? Only one man has ever done that, and that is Christ. So John isn't teaching that our obedience will keep us. He's saying that only only those who, who are perfect and righteous will, will be the ones that say, because we will be counted out. But he's pointing us towards Christ. He's saying it is Christ's obedience that will save you. Believers have eternal life, and that's because it is a gift. It's the gift of faith. Because we abide in Christ, we have his righteousness. So it is true that he that doeth the will of God will abideth forever. And it was Christ and in Christ we will abide forever. Now it's essential that we understand all this about loving the world and the, import- and the importance of, of Christ and his righteousness. It's because Christ is the key to not being fooled by the false teachers, the Antichrist, the And again, in our lifetime, if we see the Antichrist, because a love of the world, what's it doing? It's drawing our eyes away from Jesus. So now we'll we'll move on and we'll look at um, the Antichrist and the Antichrist and and what John says about these. So we're just going to go to verses 18 and 19 now. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So first of all, what do we see? We see John saying it is the last time. Some versions say the the last days. That's meaning that we are between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are in the last days. We don't know how long that will be, but we are in them. And in the last days, there will be many antichrists. We see there were antichrists in the church here. So what is, what are antichrists? What is the antichrist? Well, the meaning is, 
an adversary of the Messiah, an adversary of Christ, the one who is against Jesus. And John gives us, fleshes this out a bit more through his letter. In verse 22, he speaks, that the, speaks of the Antichrist denying Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father. In chapter 4, verse 3, he says they will deny, <coughs> they will de- deny that Christ came in the flesh. And this is the reason why I don't want to give a, a method or, or show a way of, of how to, to spot um, the false teachers or, or the Antichrist of saying, look to them. Because that's not the method. We look to Christ and all will be made clear to us. Yes, we should be on our guard. Yes, we should be on our lookout. But if we are so fixated on Christ, then we'll clearly see what is a lie. And our desire shouldn't be to try and and work them out. Because again, we're looking to them and we're not looking to Jesus. Our desire should be to know Jesus more and more. Now, John, again, just tells us, he says, look, they will be liars. They will be this. They will do this. But only if we know Jesus will we know what lies they are telling. Because they've, John knows the church has experienced this. Verse 19, they had false teachers. They had antichrists coming in and telling them lies. And he said, look, they weren't of you. They left. They came in, they tried teaching false and they, they left. They, they were rejected. They were not of the church. But how did the church know this? How did the church know what they were saying was a lie? Again, was it their own methods? Was it their own ways? Well, John tells us further on now in verses um, 20 onwards. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledged the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that hath promised us even eternal life. So first of all, what will help the church? Well, first of all, they have uh, they have an unction. He have an unction from the Holy One. They have that means anointing. They have a, an anointing from Christ. They have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And here, this is what will protect them. They belong to Christ. They know Jesus. They have the Holy Spirit which will help them discern the truth from the lie. He will bring back the things that they need to remember, the truth that they have been taught. And John then states he isn't writing to them because they don't know the truth, but he's writing them to them to, to, to remind them of the truth, the truth that they know. And he's saying that those that bring in lies are of the Antichrist. They are Antichrist. They deny Jesus and the Father. And we cannot have fellowship with anyone who who denies Christ or the Father. 
And we've got to be, again, careful of how, how we, we look at this. Because somebody say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But they may believe, like here, that Jesus didn't take on human flesh, that he wasn't fully man. That is not the Jesus of the scripture. That is a different Jesus. They may say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they believe that he was actually an angel. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. That is a false teaching. And this is where we see the cults come from. Now, by God's grace, like in the church here, these people left. And that may well have gone off to start another cult, uh, to start a cult. But the church was protected. Some churches will be overthrown. There was a, a church I attended where uh, somebody denied um, that Jesus was the only way. This was an ordained uh, Baptist minister that could stand there and deny that Jesus was the only way. He, he has stayed in the church and the church has gone away from the Lord because his false teaching was allowed to be in there. And thirdly, we don't need a, a method to, to spot and, and to, to guard ourselves and come up with our own ways of thinking to, to, to spot and defend against the Antichrist. Because look what we read in verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. That's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. In Christ we are saved, we are secure, and we are sanctified. And then verse 25 shows that we have eternal life. So those who are Christ, who have been blessed with the Holy Spirit, who brings back to us a remembrance of, of what we need to know to, to defend the faith and to spot a lie. Those who have these things, who these who the people, the, the Christians, the believers who have been blessed with these things will spot a lie and a wrong view of Christ. Initially, it may be difficult to spot, but because they are the Lord's, he will bring that to light. So those who deny Christ, who deny the Father, will be known as they were done in the church here. And when they left, it was revealed and shown that they were never of the church. These weren't believers that had slipped and had gone away, were saved and now no longer saved. They were never of the church. And if we believe that it is upon us, it is our duty to, to invent ways and create ways to find out who the Antichrist is, who, when he comes, we're putting ourselves under the law. And there is no hope there because it is in our effort. We've rejected the saving work of Christ if we think it's dependent on us to not be fooled. We're saying that the work on the cross is not enough. It's not enough because we need to protect ourselves. But John here is pointing them, he's saying, look, there are Antichrists, there will be the Antichrist. But the life, the death and the resurrection of Christ wasn't just dealing with your sins. It did deal with our sins and wonderfully so. And in God's grace and mercy, Christ being punished for us, saved us from the wrath of God. But it wasn't just that moment, it was for eternity. And we cannot do anything to keep ourselves saved. We just rest on Christ and he will have his work in us. Christ did an eternal work. So John here is encouraging the church, who, which has been through a lot, that has had the Antichrist come in to draw them away, to attempt to draw them away. But John is encouraging them here, and in turn he's encouraging us now. He's saying, do not worry 
about the falseness that is coming in. Do not obsess about it. The Bible warns us there will be these things. But that's all we need to know. We just need to know that there will be these things that come. But the Antichrist can do no eternal damage to those who are in Christ. Christ's atoning work on the cross can never be undone for those who believe in him. Those who are his will never be lost. John 10, 28. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, we will be attacked. Maybe physically through persecution. Maybe through false teaching that attempts to come in. But we are to keep our eyes on Christ. Because he is our shepherd. He will fight off these wolves. He will keep us safe from harm. He will bring us back to safety if we are his. And again, that is not up to us. That is the gift of faith. And there is a reason why we are referred to as sheep. Sheep are stupid. And that's why they need a shepherd. That's why we need our shepherd. Sheep cannot look after themselves well at all. They fall on their backs, they get stuck in ditches, they get caught in fences. They need their shepherd. So when it comes to the Antichrist, what John is mentioning here, it's not up to us to, to spot and, and to, to, to work out when or how or, or who. I go back to chapter 1, verse 3. It's in Christ. We have fellowship with Christ. We know Jesus. It's not because we, we are clever or anything like that. It's because we have grace. And in God's grace, he has revealed himself to us. We know Jesus. We know who is true. Therefore, we will recognize the false. If we know Christ, we will know who is the liar, who will bring a false, attempt to bring a false Jesus to our face. And if anybody is taken away and led astray, then they were never of the fold. They were never the shepherds. But our salvation is set on Christ and it will never be taken from us. And then John moves further on. We're going to read verses 26 to 29. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you, you all, <clears throat> you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Verse 26, John's again stating why he's writing to the church. He doesn't want them to be seduced. And that's why he doesn't point them to themselves and their own understanding, but to Christ and his wisdom. Verse 27, he's saying, look, you abide in Christ. You abide in him. You have the anointing which you receive from him. Abideth, it's in you. Um, And you have in Christ all that you need. 
He's saying they know Christ, they have the Holy Spirit, they possess all that they need to know and understand truth. If they were loving the world, like we spoke about earlier, they would think that they needed, yeah, maybe maybe Christ, maybe the Holy Spirit, that would help, but we need the wisdom of the world. If their eyes were on the world, they would be dependent on the things of the world, and that's when they would be led astray. But because in Christ and with the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer, we are blessed. We are given the means of grace. We have scripture, we have baptism, we have the Lord's Supper and Prayer. This is what is given to us and and we abide in Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. These things bring our minds to Christ. We learn more of Christ, we grow in our faith and this is what protects us against falseness. Not knowing falseness, but knowing truth. Again, if we know truth, we will spot the error. And we go back to that white strip of, of paper. I could only tell the difference when I'd studied what true white was. We will only know what error is when we know who Jesus is and we set our eyes on him. We will only know what is a lie when we know the one who is described as the truth. We'll only know the wrong way when we know the one who is the only way. And again, John takes us back to this point in verse 28. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. So when he returns, we have confidence and need not be ashamed. Again, John is directing the thoughts of the church now to Christ's second coming. We have confidence in Christ. We need not be ashamed. That's because the penalty of our sin has been dealt with. Our shame has been dealt with on the cross. So God is saying to us here in this passage that we should not be preparing for the Antichrist, but preparing for Christ. And how do we prepare for his second coming? Well, it's through faith in him, which again is a gift of God. A Christian who has been blessed with the gift of faith only has to rely on the promises of God. So we we need not fear Antichrist. We need not fear the Antichrist because we are resting in the promises of Jesus Christ. So as believers, God has shown us here that there will be the false teachers, there will be Antichrist that seek to draw us away from our shepherd and that there will be an, an Antichrist who seeks to deceive God's people. But John, in these passages, shows that we have a remedy. And it's not a, a concoction of our own ways, our, our own knowledge, seeking out dates or times or whenever. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in our Saviour. It's in our Shepherd. And he's saying, look, do not love the world. Do not be distracted by the things of this world. Don't look to the world for help. For Christ has given us the Scriptures. These the scriptures are, is what is, is sufficient and certain and infallible for, for all our saving knowledge. This is what we confess in, our, in the 1689. This is our confession of faith. We trust in the scriptures. And we have the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things and brings these things to remembrance. And what does all the scripture do? What does the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He brings us back to remembering Christ, to our faith in Christ. So we do not trust in men. We trust and rest on the one who has said to us, Come unto me, all ye that are 
that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So from these passages, we see that we shouldn't love the world. It's merely a distraction from trusting in Christ, from having our mindset on Jesus. Do not worry about, do not worry in one sense of false teachers, of, of the Antichrist, of the Antichrist coming. Do not try and concern yourself with those things. Have rest and have peace in knowing Christ as your saviour. Who is the shepherd? Who will protect you? Who will care for you? And who will lead you home? Amen.